Welcome to episode 36 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We are on the eve of the 2022 season. Last year, we just missed the cut. We were late to the season. This year, we're on the ball. And Stoughton, it looks like a pretty good Toronto Blue Jays team that is hosting the Texas Rangers meaningfully at home at Rogers Centre with a full capacity crowd, which, you know, there's a lot that could be said about that, but it's different. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, we're having a normal Blue Jays season but with a better than normal Blue Jays roster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be excited for, really. It, um, you know, it's been sad a lot, but I mean, having the full crowds back will be a lot of fun. Like Friday night's game is going to be really fun. I think the whole weekend will. Um, you know, you usually lose something uh, in April uh, after the opener, and, and it's uh, it, it's not until the warmer weather comes that more fans start showing up. But I don't even know if that's going to be the case this year. I mean, the Jays are, are poised to be really good. I mean, it's a tough division, but... Uh, there's no reason that they shouldn't be, you know, right there at the end, uh, if not in first place, fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, when you think about specifically what makes you excited about this team, the 2022 Blue Jays, what are you looking forward to most about the return of this squad? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, like Vlad is uh, is sort of a thing unto himself. Um, he's just obviously a superstar and had that superstar season last year and. You know, it's you know, it's just rare that you get to see guys like that. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's uh, you know, getting to see Springer, uh, I think, is going to be a huge thing for uh, for fans and for the team. Obviously, you know, he missed so much of last year, uh, and hopefully that doesn't happen again. Um, but those, you know, just the big obvious ones, really. I mean, it's uh, it's exciting times. Uh, the rotation all looks really good. You know, we'll see how Kikuchi does, but um, but I think they, you know, they've got they've got some depth to handle those issues should they crop up, which they always do. Um, you know, there's some interesting guys in the minors that'll come up, and I think they're just going to win a lot of games. I think that's going to be the thing, which is uh, awesome. It's very rare that we're able to say that before the start of a year and actually like feel confident about it. The Springer point is interesting because not only did he miss a ton of last year. When he was playing, there was times when he seemed sort of physically limited in one way or another. And even when that wasn't the case, there was this sort of dread surrounding him that, you know, the <laughs> the shoe was going to drop and mm-hmm. something was going to go wrong. And and it's probably going to take a while for that to go. And maybe it never goes away. Maybe the his Blue Jays tenure is sort of fraught with injury worries. Um, you know, for him, I hope that's not the case. But this year, there you get kind of a clean slate as opposed to him like showing up late and it's like, when's he going to play and is he going to be able to play the field and what's that going to look like and how far can we push him? Now, instead, you have a guy who people, I think, tend to forget over the last kind of three years on a per plate appearance basis is sort of a top 10 hitter in the entire league. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's easy to miss that with, you know, Vlad's breakout and, you know, Bo is a massive fan favorite and a young star in the game. And even, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is sort of a good Blue Jays story that people have really glommed onto. Springer is, you know, he could be the best all-around player on the team, potentially, if he stayed healthy, just based, you know, that would probably take a little bit of Vlad regression, and it would take him playing center field with some consistency. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think people aren't even considering that as a possibility, and this is a player who uh, who absolutely has that ceiling. Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, yeah, top 10 hitter in the game, I think, um, on a per-plate appearance basis, they, that and that has, of course, been the thing, and... Uh, as for that label sort of going away, I mean, it's 
you know, this wasn't the first year, 2021 wasn't the first year where he had missed some time. I mean, it sort of happens to him every time, uh, every year. Uh, playing on the turf is probably not going to be ideal for him, even though, you know, they redid the field last year and, uh, you know, as part of the, the ongoing project to redo the building. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, he's really good. He will make a huge difference. And he did, you know, we saw it last year, you know, when he was in the lineup and versus when he wasn't. I mean, it, it, it gave them a whole lift, even as he was, you know, limited, uh, limited physically to, to, for much of the season, I think. Uh, still put up really good numbers. Still, you know, maybe couldn't run the bases as well as he could and certainly couldn't play center as much. But uh, uh, the bat still works. And so <laughs> that's going to be, you know, that's going to be the main thing for him. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the... There's been a lot of discussion about, okay, well, you're not necessarily going to get the, you know, the Ray and Simeon performances that you got last year. And in some ways, Gosman and... Um, and Chapman are backfills and maybe not even necessarily backfills that will give you as much as you got in 2021. There's that's sort of a cynical line of thinking, but you know, Springer is sort is a big part of that picture of the sort of assumption you'll get significantly more from him than he did last year. And then the other thing that you touched on is the rotation. Like there's tweets today that went out about like, this is what the rotation was at the beginning of 2021. And it, you know, Tanner Roark was a part of that for literally, <laughs> for literally one start. But still, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I'm no scout, but watching him in 2020, <laughs> uh, it was so clear that he just didn't have big league stuff anymore. Like he, he just could not compete at that level. You know, they were put, he was sort of a lamb to the slaughter for 11 starts. Like he got a lot mm -hmm. of run and that, you know, it's because of the contract they gave him a multi-year contract worth over $10 million a year. That's going to happen. But that type of stuff barring you know a multi-layered catastrophe which is always in the cards with pitchers mm -hmm. um is not going to happen at least early in the season like you look at this rotation you're getting the full Manoa you're getting the full Barrios you know Gosman is an, a breakout guy and there's some skepticism about him sustaining that breakout but he's also incredible in 2020 as well which people don't mm -hmm. really zero in on because the Giants weren't as relevant to team and it was a small sample um, but we saw Teoscar Hernandez as an example of a guy who had that breakout in 2020 and carried it forward. Every mm -hmm. night, you know, Kikuchi is a little bit the exception to the rule. He'll have some really good nights and some really bad nights, I think. Every that seems night, fair to me, yeah. <laughs> the Blue Jays are going to roll out uh, a pitcher that is going to show you something. And that, you know, and Roark does not fit that description, Zoik does not fit that description. Um, you know, stripling doesn't reach that bar a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the rotations we've seen in recent years don't stack up to this. And I know you don't have to go too far into the past because 2016 was an incredible rotation. The Blue Jays rolled out. So it's not like we have never seen something like this in recent history, but in the kind of new version of the Blue Jays, the new competitive window, from a watchability standpoint, even though they're carrying like 18,000 relievers, um, <laughs> that is a really big thing for me. And, you know, I'm a stickler for, you know, the role of a starting pitcher and the watchability of baseball. And, you know, I think that that's one of the problems in modern baseball. But the Blue Jays will be a little bit traditional in that way. I think that, you know, with the exception of Kikuchi, these guys are generally maybe not the very beginning of the season because of the, you know, the truncated spring training and whatnot. But these guys are generally going to probably go six, seven innings into the game. And uh, I think that's really fun to watch as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, Barrios being here and Manoa getting the full the full Barrios, full Manoa, as you say, uh, you know, fits into that picture like you're talking about with the backfilling with Chapman and uh, and Gosman and, you know, and adding Kikuchi and having a full year of Springer. I mean, that makes this team, uh, you know, you lost a lot with Simeon and Ray, obviously, but it makes the team better now than they were, you know, before. Manoa came up last year, and certainly before the the Barrios trade, when Springer was you know out for however long he was out, you know half the year basically, um, and it doesn't really feel you know Trevor Story, you know the the Yankees did a you know uh, brought Gallo back um, or Rizzo back, I should say. I think Gallo was already on a contract, but yeah, I, you know it doesn't feel like they went out and asserted themselves in the off season either, which is uh, uh, probably disappointing if you're a fan of either of those teams, the Red Sox and the Yankees, but. Uh, uh, just makes the Blue Jays' case that they're, you know, potentially the class of the division even better. So that's the optimism side, and we're yes. going to circle back on this. You know, we've got a whole <laughs> show here. We're not going to fill it with, you know, a little 10-minute bit of optimism off the top and then go full pessimism the rest of the way, uh, even though that's on brand at times. What is that thing that kind of is nagging at your brain about how this potentially goes wrong? Uh, you know, I look, the rotation's really good. I don't, uh, but like Gossman, yes, he was good in 2020, but it's not a huge sample. Um, Ryu was shaky at the end of the year. You know, I think, uh, you know, Perios is not, is, you know, more a number two, more a very, very good number two than a true number one. Um, I still think that gives them, that sets them up with a really good rotation. But if you start having to see, you know, Ross Stripling starts, Anthony Kay starts, uh, you know, Thomas Hatch, Nate Pearson, if he ever, Gets you know gets on the field again, which the, the, the luck that guy has is is very unfortunate. Um, you know that could make it more difficult, and it's you know it's probably you know health is probably the biggest concern, I I suppose. But I, I think there is you know some chance for regression there, and and I, you know Vlad doesn't have a long track record in the big leagues either. Like his first couple of years did not look like last year. Um, I you know I'm 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 betting that he's the guy that that we all think that he is that he's you know been touted as for the longest time, but. Um, but that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. But also, you know, last year was the bullpen really that, that that did it. And there's some, you know, there's some interesting arms there. But it's also not, you know, the strongest bullpen. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't give you flashes of the 2015 Royals. Like it's no, not a yeah. star-studded group. It's a it's a competent group with some. And Garcia, it'll be interesting to see you know, what they think they can get out of him that potentially other teams weren't able to because his results haven't necessarily played to his stuff. And maybe mm -hmm. he does become one of those real late-inning horses. But, yeah, it is a bit of a quantity over quality thing for them right now down there. That's something I would point to. I just I can't imagine that kind of falling against them as much as it did last year. Like, they had yeah. kind of the worst bullpen luck you can imagine last year. So even if that kind of goes worse than you'd expect, it still will probably go better than last year. And the other thing with that too is that with the trade deadline, there's always relief help available and the chances of them being totally out of the race and not even reaching for that help are have lessened significantly because they're such a good team and because the playoff field has been expanded. Mm -hmm. The thing, no, for, I, Yeah, I think, no, go ahead. I just say the thing for me that uh burrows away at my brain a little bit is the position player depth to be honest and i know that there was a lot of excitement about getting gritchick out of town um <laughs> but he did feel like someone who you could start for a month and potentially get a good month out of 
Espinal could be that on the infield, but he could also not be that. Like his track record of offensive competence is almost non-existent. I know there's a lot of excitement about him looking physically bigger. Um, you know, I'm always going to be skeptical of that translating into great results until I see it, especially the guy who didn't hit that well in the minor leagues and, you know, wasn't young for his level and all that stuff. You know, Tapia is a guy who there was a lot of like, wow, he's a different style and that's something the Blue Jays need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's correct when everyone's <laughs> healthy. Like when yeah. everyone's healthy, it's like, oh, you get a dash of that flavor and oh, he can pinch run and he can do um, some work as a defensive replacement. And against certain righties, you really want to maximize your lefties bats and that'll be okay. When he has to fill in for a long period of time, and we talked about this before, you know, with a spring or something like that. You know, I feel probably a little bit more uneasy about him than I would about Gritchick in a scenario like that. Like this team, you know, Zach Collins is on their bench and I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> but like he's a player who's, you know, on this team for some reason. Um, there's not the position player depth with them like there is with a Dodgers or in good Rays seasons. Like it doesn't feel like they mm. have more than nine starting caliber players and they're able to shuffle that the way they want to. They kind of have, they have a really good lineup, but it's like, here's the lineup. These are our guys. And, you know, Kirk and the catching situation. And if Moreno comes up, that's a little bit of a wrinkle. Um, but generally speaking, there isn't a ton of that kind of second tier position player talent to fill on major injuries or to even, you know, just give you, production you can trust on other players off days and that's not necessarily enough to sink a really good team season and the fact that this is what i'm zeroing in on kind of shows you how good the blue jays are but that would be a, a concern i have about this team yeah no I, I think that's totally a fair concern i think you know uh we've seen a little vigio in the outfield i think we've seen espinal there as well um, not in center so that that could be an issue uh if you start to see josh palacios take a bats or see like you know, a Leo Jimenez come up to play, you know, shortstop or, or third base or something. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Jordan Groshans is not, uh, you know, is not as, as highly regarded, I think, maybe as he was a couple of years ago, at least by the fans. I don't know. Really, I can't speak for what the Jays think internally. Uh, you know, there are some interesting options, but yeah, that definitely, that would be a problem for sure. Uh, um, and Tapia is definitely a guy who, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, Gritchick, I'm not going to say I'm not pleased that Gritchick is no longer here, especially because of like the left-right fit was a thing. But I mean, Tapia can be can be bad. Um, it's know, bad to hit like 70% ground balls. Like, it really is. <laughs> we used to talk about Vlad, and very different players, but we used to talk about Vladdy kind of being around 50% and that being pretty bad. Uh, and then, you know, again, a different stylistic player. But the fact that he was, you know, Tapia was that high uh that's pretty brutal it is but also not here to play every day and i think but in that scenario where he does have to take a lot of at bats it, it, it uh you know 76 weighted runs created plus last year and a career rate of 78 so you know it comes like you say with the dash of speed and it kind of goes about it in a different way it's not a power game obviously he's a uh, he's gonna get on base in different ways so he could still have some value despite like the the that number particularly looking low, especially for a guy who's in Colorado. But uh, but also, I mean, obviously the Jays see something. And they saw primarily, I assume, the contract and the lefty bat. Yeah, I don't uh, think they saw that much. In something <laughs> but, is sort of the the correct term. Yeah. But but also, you know, they're, they, they are, I don't, I, I can't, don't follow the Rockies, you know, as 
in depth enough to know where they are in terms of, you know, swing play and stuff and uh, how much they're going to, you know, they were tinkering with him and, and, and what, you know, and obviously they have like the environmental factor being at, at altitude that to, to factor things, you know, to change things up and, 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 you know, so maybe there are tweaks that Tapia can make that the Jays can be looking for that they probably identified. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, if there are tweaks, on a pick there, yeah. it feels safe to assume the Rockies did not find them. This is the, <laughs> yes. the organization that was having its front office members doing laundry for people and whose uh, <laughs> emphasis on character was also very tied into Christianity. An extremely uh-huh. regressive organization in sort of every uh, sense of the word. Yeah. So if there is something to be found in this guy, uh, yeah, maybe the Blue Jays can find it. I'm not hopeful. Yeah, the scenario I'm laying out, and you make a good point about you know Jimenez not being far from the majors, Otto Lopez, another guy mm-hmm. not far yeah. from the majors. Um, I I think that it's sort of if they lose kind of two, three guys at the same time. And I'm not saying that any team is well-equipped to do that, but it seems like the drop-off between their starters and their bench, partly because their starters are so good, is a little bit high. Um, again, like that, you know, that's nitpicking. This is a good team. Mm-hmm. This is a team that a lot of people are projecting to win the AL East. Um, on an individual level, though, who's someone that you think that you're excited to see and that maybe has been a little bit underhyped? Because there seems to be sort of a lot of consensus and Vladdy sucks up so much oxygen with this mm-hmm. team. Uh, I think Manoa does a little bit on the pitching side. Uh, it's hard to fly under the radar, um, potentially because each of these players are generally so good. Uh, that's a weird <laughs> thing to say. But is there someone who stands out that like maybe we're not thinking about on the eve of opening day that we should be giving a more mental bandwidth to? Um, I'll go with a couple. Like I would say, like uh, you know, Bobichet's a star, obviously. Um, but you know that that I'm excited and interested to watch uh, to see if the approach evolves a little bit. You know, and he he gets away with a lot of a lot of swing and miss, um, and you know we all know the story about it and the the leg kick that changes to the tap. And um, I know there was a lot of Twitter talk about the the two strike approach, and uh, he can foul a lot of balls off. That does happen a lot, but he does get a lot of bad counts too, which uh, which is something I personally would would like to see him rein in a little bit. Um, which is, you know, not an easy thing to do. And it's sort of a thing that goes all the way back to when he was drafted, you know, talking about, you know, the Jays were a team that was not going to change what he was going to do. And I don't know that, you know, necessarily if that just means physically or what, but, uh, you know, you want to let him be him. Uh, and it obviously works. He was a five win player last year, whatever it was, four and a half, something like that. Um, but I, but I think that's going to be interesting as he matures and as he gets, you know, knows the league more. And I think that, that there there could be more there in that bat if it was a little more selective. So I think that will be interesting. I also think Lourdes Gurriel, you know, has such up and down swings. But, you know, if he could have put together uh, a full up season, uh, that, that season would look very good. And he kind of flies a little under the radar, I think, maybe. Bichette is an interesting one for me. And we talked about this a little bit before. Just stylistically, sometimes I find him hard to watch because I can't, I feel like I can't think along with him because he's totally <laughs> unpredictable and not in a necessarily like a genius type of way. In a, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he necessarily knows. It. It's kind of like watching a knuckleballer, but a hitter. It's like anything can happen. The ball can be sprayed in any direction. He can swing at any pitch. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much method to his madness. The effectiveness is hard to doubt. Um, Mm -hmm. like you said, it'll be interesting to see as he gets old, he's still so young as he gets older, 
does the approach change? Does it become slightly more conventional? And would that help him? Like, it's easy to sit and say, like, oh, if he can, you know, swing at fewer bad pitches, if he can get in fewer bad counts, obviously he will do better. But is the cost of that too much? Like we saw with Randall Gritchick, for instance, like his big problem was strikeouts, and he cut down the strikeouts. But when he cut down the strikeouts, the big swings were gone, and he mm-hmm. didn't have as much power anymore. And having that power and striking the ball that way was what made him interesting in the first place. So mm-hmm. maybe if you reined in Bo you you'd have a totally different player who wasn't necessarily better but it is a watching bow is a roller coaster of an experience <laughs> that's for sure the guy for me is alejandro kirk and it's it's at the plate you know behind the dish i don't think he needs more hype or and also his future <laughs> is very much in doubt but uh, actually, I actually have a piece on this coming out in a few days at Sportsnet. You got to you know, plug stuff that doesn't exist yet. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, just about <laughs> his last season and how you know he was a lot better at the plate than people kind of gave him credit for. And the, the, the numbers don't jump off the page. But he's one of those guys who had the amazing gap between the expected stats and the normal stats. And a lot of people kind of assume like, oh, he's a guy who's super slow. So as a result, he's not getting as much out of his batted balls. But anyway, for that piece, I went through and I watched all of his singles. And I'm like, okay, how many doubles did he actually lose? Right. Like, And if you look at his infield hit rate, it's approximately average. Like it's slightly below average. So even if you give him, you know, all the bases that his legs possibly could have taken away, it still doesn't account for this gap and the way he sprays the ball and he hits it with authority and he's had some really bad luck. So, you know, he's always going to be a fascinating player because he's unique from a build perspective and from a, you know, positional question perspective. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, significantly better at the plate than people assume this year. And, you know, there's a reason that he ends up hitting like quite high in some of these lineups when there are guys who are way more established than him and on this roster, like, you know, Matt Chapman has had a hell of a lot of offensive success in his career. And <laughs> yeah. then you see Alejandro Kirk hitting above him. That's kind of surprising, but there's a reason. And that, you know, the Blue Jays see just how well he strikes the ball, how much contact he makes. Um, he, you know, he continues to be someone who's so much fun to watch. And I don't know if post hype sleeper is quite fair with him because, um, you know, he still hasn't played that much and he's still young enough that you could. Uh, saying he's post-hype might be unfair, but I feel like the initial wave of Kirk excitement has definitely crested, and I think there's still meat on the bone there, uh, which is not a pun about his <laughs> body shape. Uh, that just came out the way it did. Uh, no, but I think that, I think that's a good choice, and I think you're right. Yeah, he, uh, uh, yeah, clearly they really like him. Clearly, you know, even just to have brought him up as early as they did in 2020, uh, and striking the ball and, and the, the contact numbers are are definitely things that. Uh, that he can sort of control that sometimes the results uh, can't, he can't in a way, you know, especially if, you know, you're going and looking through the, the, some of the bad luck. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a, we talked a lot about the catching last week, but yeah, it is. A, it's going to be an interesting situation there. Obviously they now have, uh, they've answered the Reese McGuire question with another question, but, uh, but for the time being, you know, it, uh, uh, it'll be interesting you know, how they deploy both those guys, you know, Kirk probably more uh, a DH guy than, than Jansen, obviously. Yeah, I feel like we should stop on the McGuire thing for a second. Uh, I mean, we in the last episodes, we've been really leading with those transactions, no matter how minor they might be, uh, just because I think the public has an unquenchable thirst for transactions. That's been my experience um, for sure. living in this world. 
It is a weird trade. And you know, I was listening to Effectively Wild, the Fangraphs baseball podcast the other day. And he talked about just how rare it is to trade two players of the same age and the same position for each other. Like, you know, the way baseball works, we're often trading the present for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're trading positional need for different positional need. And for two teams to basically say, we got these two guys who are the same in a lot of ways. Let's just flip them. Now, you know, it's all about the options, right? Like realistically, sure. that's why yeah. the Blue Jays want Collins is because they can send him down. So they're ba- they're basically trying to get something for Reese McGuire um, because, you know, I think they look into the future and see themselves getting nothing for him, which is accurate because he's not really worth much, as I went into in great detail in the last episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, Zach Collins is mildly interesting. You know, he's more interesting to me than Reese McGuire. Again, that's a very low bar. But I I can imagine a Blue Jays line of thinking where Collins gives you a lot of the stuff that Bird would give you with the wrinkle that he can catch just enough and just enough because his defensive catching is very, very poorly Mm -hmm. thought of but he can catch just enough to give you that Alejandro Kirk DH flexibility, use both catchers in the same game type of stuff, like activate that part of your bench. Cause in for the blue Jays, that's arguably the best part of their bench is the ability to use those two catchers. Uh, I can see it a little bit. I I'm not sure I'd believe it. Cause you know, there's a ton of swing and miss in his game. He's never done anything of note at the major league level. Uh, but I can see the value in having a Zach Collins over Greg bird, which is interesting because when Bird was first cut, I was pretty taken aback by that. Not that he's a superstar by any means, but he did seem to fill a niche for them. Um, but with this trade having happened, the bigger picture makes a little more sense. Yeah, I, I, that that seems that seems fair to me as, as well. Not disagreeing again. Um, and yeah, and like Cato, I think helps a little bit as well. That um, that was definitely an interesting thing, and everybody had really seemed to pencil in Bird for the opening day spot, and uh, obviously not happening. Um, and yeah, I think I think that you're right. The Collins can kind of do a, a little bit of that while also having you know giving them a little bit of extra uh, cushion uh, depth at the catcher spot uh, because they obviously don't want to rush Moreno. And, and, you know, we saw last year, both Jansen and Kirk spent a lot of time on the, on the shelf, which is why McGuire even came back in the first place. Uh, because yeah, they made that decision about McGuire last year. Um, when they, they designated him for assignment after, uh, you know, they, for the opening day, I believe, um, I'd have to go look at the calendar when he was actually released, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think that's, I think that's interesting. And, and the option though, obviously is like the huge thing there. Um, because yeah, I assume I assume at some point he'll be in Buffalo. Yeah, I think he'd, it's probably maybe fair to assume <laughs> he'll be in Buffalo for more time than he's in Toronto. I think he would have to surprise his bat would really have to show up um, for him to spend the whole year on the Blue Jays bench, and that's within the realm of possibility. He's done some um, pretty good work at the AAA level offensively. You know, he's a former first round pick. There isn't nothing there. Uh, but yeah, he would have to give you way more than you bargained for, for him to be someone that doesn't get churned at some point. And, you know, that's kind of a gruesome word, but, uh, that's the <laughs> way the MLB, MLB works right now. A lot of guys get churned on a roster, you know, Kato you, is another yeah. guy. He's probably gonna get churned at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he plays all the positions and that's kind of the thing. That's kind of what he's there yeah. to do. Like, there's nothing else about him. 
um, that makes you think that he's like, there's no situation where I'm like, Oh, they better bring Cato in now. Right. Like he's not like, it's not like, Oh, they need him for this defense or, Oh, they need him to steal a base. Or this is a time where they really could use a pinch hitter. And that guy's Cato. Like there's no one moment where you need him. It's just that there's a million moments where you could sort of use him. And I, I, you know, I don't want to be too down on him. Cause you know, I know he's super excited to make the team and he's got that fan favorite potential. He's got a, kind of he's done said some kind of funny things on twitter and um yeah i mean i could see him actually maybe sticking around longer than collins just because he can he can wear so many hats but that's not particularly exciting in and of itself <laughs> no i i think you're right i mean they they definitely are thinking about matchups right and and swing playing and and like matching up against you know the you know particular pitchers relievers later in games you know uh, we might see some crazy things. We might see a Collins, you know, get tapped to to for a pinch hit spot where it feels not right. Um, you know, and I think Cato falls into that category as well because he hits from the left side, and so many other guys don't. But also, as we were saying before, you know, the the level for the regulars is so high that there's not a lot of guys you're going to be pinch hitting for anyway. Yeah, I mean, who I was going to say, like, who are you going to pinch hit for? You know, Danny Jansen if he's in the middle of kind of a struggling little patch. Kevin Biggio potentially against certain pitchers, but again, you're going. Then you're going to yeah, yeah. Then you're going to go with another. All the guys on the bench are lefties. I mean, Espinal uh, for yeah. for Biggio is sort of an obvious move that could happen. But yeah, because you know Springer's not coming out, Bichette's not coming out, Vlade's not coming out, Teoscar's not coming out. I mean, maybe I think the wild one you could see would be could be Chapman potentially if Chapman is having a bit of an offensive struggle if there's a particular pitcher who they really don't like the way he looks against them you could see a weird pinch if he if into the season he really is looking like that kind of like league average hitter again then right. maybe you see some weird stuff with him but I, I you know I'm I'm fairly bullish that that's not that he'll be if not way better than that, then a little bit better than that. Like, I I don't think it should be assumed that he's going to stay at the lowest level of his career for the second consecutive season. Yeah. I, I well, you just, you got to be hopeful that the, uh, that the hip is fine, which, uh, when he plays, it looks like it's fine, but he was able to play great defense last year. It was really sort of a, a power issue in the box. Um, and, you know, I think that's something to be paying attention to early on is like, you know, where is it, where is, are his exit velocities at? I don't know if I really watched too much of that in spring, also because it's spring. But um, but I think that was, you know, those were down compared to his career last year. And the, the hope is that the hip is fine. And that if that starts to come up, then you would, can hope, I think, and feel good about, you know, more good things coming from the uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, he's an interesting interesting guy because they don't need him to be the best version of himself for him to be essentially everything they paid for and a great contributor to the team uh but if he is able to kind of unlock i don't know 80 percent of that 2019 2018 time frame like it's crazy like you know he was an mvp candidate star, yeah. like he yeah you know i mentioned that you know people don't consider the idea that springer could be the best player on the team you know matt chapman could theoretically be the best player on the team it, it would be very surprising to me if that ended up happening but that's the sort of thing that is actually on the table that no one is considering yeah i think i think that's totally right and uh just for the way that he's going to make Pachette so much better at short, I think is also, you know, I mean, it's, that's, that's, that's been sort of the main talking point with him anyway. But uh, 
but it can't it can't be said enough like there were those games uh, the end of spring training there um where he was putting on a show defensively and and you know we're just sort of getting a taste now of of what that's going to be like every single day and uh, i think it's gonna be pretty good yeah, you might recall uh, Kevin Biggio doing very little to make Bo Bichette better uh, at times <laughs> during the 2021 season. I do recall and that. And that uh, side of the infield being kind of grim. While we're, uh, we're living in a grim area, and again, we like to go cyclically tone-wise up and down, uh, is there a player you think maybe there's an undue amount of optimism about or is getting a lot of shine at the moment that you're a little bit more skeptical of than, say, the general public? Um, interesting one. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, like, I mean, nobody's really being fooled by Julian Merriweather at this point. Um, I don't know, people very... will. The first time he has an incredible outing, I guarantee you people will. There's a lot to dream on there, right? When he starts, you know, missing bats and throwing close to 100, and, and you know, and then there have just been other times where he doesn't. Um but he looked, you know, he looked in flashes more like that guy uh, a couple times in the spring than he than the guy that he was at the end of last season. Uh, I don't know if that's somebody who like people are putting undue optimism on. Um, at this point, it's probably your Elvis Martinez after the spring that he had. Um, but they also aggressively put him in into Double A, so they see something there. Um, I don't know if we'll be seeing him this season, but uh, um, but yeah, that was just you know that that's the kind of thing that happens with prospects when you have a when every spring training game almost is televised and and uh, you have a performance like he did. But uh, I mean that that was looking good too. I'm not here to dump on the kid, uh, but um, but that got a little bit. Uh, I think the brakes maybe needed to pump get pumped a little bit there before he got sent back down. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. It's for me. <laughs> You know, I he could probably say most of the players, but uh, but that's just a you know, a factor of where the hype is right now. Ryu, sure. Ryu is a guy that stands out because you know his projections have him bouncing back. I feel like people, given some distance from last year, have kind of looked at the whole picture and been like, you know what, he wasn't that bad last year, and he was good for a lot of the time. And with players of his type, it's always so easy to say you know what, he's someone whose game is going to age really well because it's not based on the athleticism, it's not based on the raw... I mean, athleticism is actually the wrong word because he does field his position really well. But mm -hmm. it's not based on the velocity um, and it's you know it's about command and control and that's something people are able to be crafty with and sustain and we all remember you know Mark Burley and we remember Jamie Moyer and he's not exactly that guy, but he's not wildly dissimilar from that guy. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that I think about sometimes is this is a weird cross sport comparison, but often when we're talking about how players age, it's actually the freaks who age really well because they <laughs> like Vince Carter is an example. He was able to play in the NBA forever because even his diminished athleticism was still good enough. And that gave him the time to learn the game better. And often the guys who seem super cerebral, but maybe aren't as physically gifted, they seem like they're going to stick around forever because they're so smart. How could they not? But the athletic, you know, range of outcomes for them is such that they lose a little bit and then it it's gone. And it, this is another very weird cross sport one that I don't know how many of our audience members <laughs> can get. I'm a huge Seahawks fan. It happened with a guy named Lofa Tatupu, who's an incredible middle linebacker, like pro bowl guy. And it was because he was in, very smart. His instincts were amazing, but athletically he was nothing special. And the moment he lost a little bit, he was done. 
right away. And I don't think Ryu is necessarily that, but there are cautionary tales like that. And so if he gets to the point where getting up to 89.90 is taking a ton of his effort, then the command and control part will get fuzzier. And if that gets fuzzier, you know, there's not a lot of margin for error there. So he's a guy who for me is always kind of maybe more of a threat to fall off the table than the general populace assumes he is. I think I think so. Yeah, and, that was an adventure, know, by the way, uh, for sure. For NBA and NFL, but hopefully <laughs> we made a point. But but no, I think it's a good one, and I think he's definitely a guy that people are sort of watching with that kind of eye, um, because yeah, like you know, we like I I don't know if it was as pronounced last year, but I'm thinking in 2020 definitely it was like okay, if the fastball is at 91, then you're doing okay, and like the starts where it was a little less. Uh, you know, the results were not as good. And that's kind of like parsing it, you know, in a way that's maybe, maybe, you know, makes too much noise in the old, uh, in the database there. But, uh, but yeah, I think that the margin for error is going to be kind of small and, and, that you know, yeah, Ryu throwing, throwing 88 is probably going to be a problem. Um, even with the control and the command that he, that he does possess. I mean, I think that that's just, you know, you're, you're getting into that stage where, um, where that just doesn't work against big league hitters. Right. So, um, we'll see, and we know they're going to have to like uh, uh, monitor his workload and try to keep him, you know, to to ex- give him extra rest whenever they can. Uh, that's just sort of the thing. Uh, it's a shame because he's, you know, he was great in 2020 and like you know got them into the playoffs and was the clear number one. Uh, you know, the had he had he's just so barely played in front of fans in Toronto, which is uh, you know to to see potentially a diminished version of him. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily true, like because I think I think you're exactly right. You know, if you look at even through you know the end of July last year, even through the first four months of the season, like they, he was he was fine. It was just the wheels really sort of fell off at the end, and and you know for a guy where where that uh, that's going to be an issue, uh, you know. Uh, just getting the arm up to just getting the ball up to that velocity. And then, you know, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't throw side sessions. It's just a, it's, you know, gotta be, you gotta baby his arm a little bit, um, you know, wearing down at the end of a longer, a long season, especially coming off a short one uh, maybe is a thing. Hopefully there's better ways, you know, this year that they they've devised to do that and to, uh, and to preserve some of what's left in that arm. Um, and you know whatever he did in the off season, I I don't know. It's uh it, it's definitely something to watch. But also you know I really hope he goes out there and shoves and like looks like the guy that we first saw in twenty twenty for a bunch of starts in front of the home fans because it's just it, it's it, it's you know it was one of the biggest free agent contracts the Jays have ever handed out and we've just barely seen him in Toronto. Yeah, and you know when people look back on this era of Blue Jays baseball, whatever becomes of it his signing is really the beginning of something. Uh, and I know that, you know, Guerrero and Bichette are sort of the, the core and that's what made all this possible. But his signing was the first indication that this team was ready to take this next step. And if they end up becoming, you know, the team of the 2020s, which is by no means a guarantee, but is also on the table and something that people mm-hmm. have discussed, his signing will be, you know, kind of essential to that story. Um, as we as we look at opening day, one of the things that you know people are always talking about, you know, the opening day roster. That's less so the true now with the expanded rosters, where there are fewer players that you lose that you didn't want to lose, or a few of those difficult decisions. Uh, I think especially on the Blue Jays, to be honest, like I don't think they're really people they sent down who you feel especially bad about losing. But it's easy to get obsessed with the opening day roster and forget that it's an 162 game season. 
this team is going to change a lot over the course of the season. And that's something to think about today when, you know, you look at this lineup and kind of anchor on this lineup and this rotation, this bullpen, a lot is going to change with this team. So a couple things like one big picture, how do you, what do you see the biggest changes roster being? And then after that, um, maybe we can have some fun with some of the potential rental players that are out there. And I'll ask you who you think is the most likely future Blue Jay is. But let's start with the bigger, <laughs> bigger picture question first. I mean, I think the easy one is that, you know, uh, Moreno is going to show up at some point and will probably displace Kirk, uh, though that, you know, that may not happen during the season. So so I'm not sure. But, you know, that you could see him being a uh, Kirk being a guy that another team might look at and, you know, for the, the second half at the trade deadline. And maybe that puts you know some of those rental guys in play um, or he might play so well that the Jays can't do that. Uh, and Moreno just might be stuck behind him for a year. Um, I, you know, I. I, I kind of doubt that, I, you know, September call up, he could, you know, that could just give him a, mon- a month in the big leagues. Uh, that wouldn't be like out of the question, I don't think. But also, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of variety in Danny Jansen's bat and, and, you know, we've seen Kirk get hurt and Jansen get hurt. So we'll probably see him at some point. And he, I, you know, based on what everybody seems to say about him, it feels like he's, he'll be a guy who will be kind of tough to dislodge from that spot. Um but yeah, I, I mean, hopefully they stay healthy and there isn't too much change because it's looking pretty good right now as it is. I mean, obviously there'll be bullpen shuffling and, uh, you know, guys will, will step into roles and someone will come up from the minors and, uh, and and hopefully be able to help them out a little more than whatever they were able to find last year, which was, uh, which was a, a, you know, a slow motion disaster for a lot of the season. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I forgot Adam Simber and, and Trevor Richards were... were uh, you can you can add them into that uh, that big equation of like how they've backfilled and how they really are much better right now than uh, than before. But yeah, I guess I guess I have to say that it's uh, that it's that's probably going to be Kirk. Yeah, Mar- Moreno's you know clearly stands out. Yeah, this is an old story. I think Nate Pearson will have a say on this team in one <laughs> way or another. Uh, you know, mono is a is a weird thing, and people recover from it at different rates. So it's hard mm-hmm. to say, but at the same time, the fact that that isn't his elbow or shoulder exploding uh, makes you feel like he's going to be able to come back, make a contribution. Maybe that's just in the bullpen. Uh, I, you know, we talked earlier about the position players. I think one of the middle infielder type guys like Otto Lopez or Leo Jimenez, I don't know who, which one of them could be. I could see them making an impact later in the season, especially if the team is good enough to just like often when you have those guys who are young and you feel like they have some promise, you leave them down because you want them to get regular bats. But the team has sort of reached a threshold where prioritizing their development isn't necessarily going to be the number one goal every single time. We saw that with Kirk, you know, they brought Kirk up because they needed that bat. And I think that's exactly where they are this year. And if one of those guys goes off, then you might be able to see them come up and you know play a role at those spots. And as you said, the bullpen is always shifting. So I I uh, dug up a few guys I see as probable um probable rental guys who would sort of potentially fit what the Blue Jays are doing. Uh I I had some relievers here but I'm going to cut the relievers because there's like a million relievers and right. you know yeah. and they, they will they will add a reliever at some yeah, point. Yeah, they'll add sure. a reliever. So this is the list of four guys I came up with. Josh Bell of the Nationals, uh mm-hmm. big left-handed power bat, probably, you know, ideally a DH, uh pretty bad defensively. Uh Andrew Benintendi, Robbie Grossman, who I know as a name 
is very unsexy to people, but it's actually been really good since joining the Detroit Tigers. Um, and Nelson Cruz, you know, somebody's going to get Nelson <laughs> Cruz at the trade deadline. And if say Kirk is not really filling in as the DH uh, as well as they wanted, I don't know, somebody's injured. Nelson Cruz is always out there. He's available. He is. I mean, it didn't really look great after the trade there last year, as I recall. Um, well, the Blue Jays so wouldn't make I, him play so he might be, he might be past it at this point. I, I hope not, because Nelson Cruz is fun. But, um, but yeah, of those guys, you know, I mean, the, the Royals, the Royals might not be awful. So I'm not sure if Ben Attendi ends up getting moved. Oh, I don't but, know uh, if there's there's a difference between <laughs> not awful and not trading away expiring contracts. Yeah, this this is true. This is true. But yeah, I you know, I mean, we've been talking, you know, everybody, the whole you know Jays fandom about you know a lefty hitter at some point. There was one that Cleveland just re-signed that uh, is now off the market. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, like Bell maybe does make some sense there, especially like you say, if Kirk gets moved, maybe you, uh, maybe you, you know, Moreno comes up, Bell becomes your DH. Uh, now you have, you know, you probably don't need the third catcher by that point. I hope in July they don't still have the third catcher on the roster, but, but I, we shall see. They obviously have some interesting plans. Um, but yeah, that one certainly piques my interest. I'd have to look up his numbers, but uh but like you say, lefty power bat, and uh, and and I think that he would look pretty decent in the lineup. Yeah, he was uh, Ben Intendi stands out too, just because he's sort of that stylistic difference uh, from all these right-handed power bats they have, like a lefty on base guy. Um, you know, giving you potentially that Ben Revere effect that the Blue Jays got in 2015. Um, maybe would end up in a highly publicized at bat where the strike calls were <laughs> remembered for years and years to come. I, oh, I'm st- I still never get over the assumption that if the if the count was in Ben Revere's favor, then it was like a given that he was going to do something. <laughs> like it, he was a very very average hitter against a closer who was pretty much unstoppable at that time. Again, you know, people love to have their grievances. If that gives them joy, go for it. In my experiences, grievance doesn't generally give you that much joy. Uh, but I just think that that holding on to the umpiring in that bat always struck me as weird because it just never seemed like, oh yeah, Ben Revere, he's a hundred percent, he's gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not Bautista, right? Like, and and there there are many moments from that series if you want to torture yourself and go back and, and think about uh, that could have changed it potentially. But that is definitely a very very high profile one and a very you know tight situation but uh but yeah alas uh yeah ben attendee could be kind of that guy he's you know he's because he certainly appears to be an average hitter nowadays um and yeah could make sense too with the uh, you know with some defensive versatility in the outfield a little bit i guess um and bell obviously doesn't offer anything uh defensively like uh, which which is fine because you already have a guy to play first base but uh uh couldn't hurt um but yeah no i i mean It'll be interesting to see what the trade market looks like with the expanded playoff field, um, because obviously that's going to you know create more buyers and uh, and fewer sellers, right? So, um, so yeah, it may not be as robust this year as in years past. So I I, I can understand having you know <laughs> coming up with those four names, which are like you say not particularly sexy. And I think Grossman is a guy that people looked at. I don't remember if it was last trade led, trade deadline maybe. Um, the for I'm sure there was a rumor about the Jays looking in on him at some point, and uh, for re- for for good reasons. He's got a pretty decent little bat, but is again not sexy. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Tigers also fall into that same bucket of team that could mm-hmm. surprise you and be a little bit better than you thought. 
like I said, like you said, it was actually pretty hard to come up with a four person list because there are relatively few teams that you can, you know, when you look at the Blue Jays needs and teams that you're very sure aren't <laughs> going to make the playoffs, like it, it's not easy to dig up uh, potential. And th- there will be teams that we thought might be decent that will fall by the wayside. Like the, the market will sort itself out. The rentals, like you insinuated, I think they'll probably be fairly expensive. Um, before we get out probably. of here. And, and also the, also the Pirates, you know, there's not going to be anything of value on teams like that. Yeah. Tr- and trust me, I looked at them. There's, yeah, there's not a lot. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, let's do a quick Blue Jays win total and season result prediction. Um, I'll give you first ring at that. How many wins and what is their fate? Um... Oh gosh, like I, I like I think they're gonna be good. I mean, I I'm not opposed to saying you know mid nineties, like ninety four wins. That's 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 a healthy amount of wins. But I think they're gonna be really good, and I, I think they will make the playoffs if if not win the division. I would even just say, sure, why not? It's a, it's we're it's on opening day. We're opening day eve here, so why not? When, when can I not be optimistic if if not today? So I'll say they'll win the division and uh, have a deep run in the playoffs. I I was gonna say ninety five wins actually. Um, I'll right. I'll do AL East crown, and then I'll do depressing loss to an inferior opponent in the playoffs. Because <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably the way it's gonna be written. Yeah. Because that just uh, you know that consistently happens every single year. The MLB playoffs are in some ways a farce, uh, and I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> Even especially with extra teams in now. All right. Well, everybody, enjoy your opening day, uh, and we will be with you next week discussing some real Blue Jays baseball that will have happened. Um, And I hope you will join us then. 